Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. Enjoy this Rose Bowl memory from pigskindispatch.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome once again to Rose Bowl Month. We are having such a ball talking about the great game in the stadium that's turned 100 years old. The stadium, that is. Game's been played a little bit longer than that, off and on. Uh, but we have some great uh, guests and historians coming on a lot of these episodes. And tonight we have another one. Our good friend Larry Schmidt joins us to talk about some great Rose Bowls that are memorable to him. Uh, Larry, welcome back to the Pigpen. Thanks for having me back, Darren. My pleasure, as always. Larry, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're doing this football season? Uh, This season on uh, Big Blue Interactive, I've been doing a weekly retrospective where um, I dig into the, uh, the old newspaper archives. And, you know, depending on who the Giants are playing that week, I try to grab a game from the past and I post all of the newspaper clippings and if I can find anything on YouTube. And, you know, one of the fun parts about it is I is I'm, have so many uh, newspaper um, archives at my fingertips that I always try to grab something from the uh, from the opposing team as well. And it's always really interesting to look at a game from two points of view. You know, it's easy to get a bunch of New York newspapers, but to get one, you know, from Philadelphia or, you know, last week I did a Giants Redskins game from 1984 and the Washington post always has very, very good football coverage. And so it's, it's kind of fun. You know, this year I have the giants Eagles game from 1950 and that's a a good one to, uh, to look back on because the Eagles were such a a strong team then, you know, they had won the NFL title in 48 and 49. They were the defending two-time champs and, you know, you had the Cleveland Browns in the league that year. So that, that's always a, that's a 1950 is a really interesting year in professional football history. So I'm doing that every week. And over at the Gridiron Uniform Database, as always during the regular season, our focus is keeping current. And it's been very busy, you know, this year because so many teams with the, um, you know, the the single helmet shell, shell rule being lifted. There's so many throwbacks and alternates and people are changing it. So it's just keeping current. But, you know, in the background during the week, we're continuing. Um, I've been helping out Bill a lot assembling the CFL uniform database, which we talked about when we were on here about six months ago or so when we had the unveiling. So that's 
as Bill finds, you know, little gaps in the schedule, he's plugging in uniforms, but I'm, you know, getting the templates all set up for him so we can just roll in and put in all his uh, beautiful artwork. Yeah. Well, you guys do a great job there and we all appreciate that, uh, getting the history of all these great uniforms and it's gotta be really challenging this year. Like you said, with all the, the helmets, I mean, I'm seeing all these black helmets coming out oh in the, the NFL. How you many know, teams wear all black every week. It's horrible. Washington, the Eagles, the Jets, uh, the Ravens have been doing it for, like, every week. It's like, everybody's either an all black or, or Navy blue. And it's, Gosh, I I don't know. It's supposed to be like color rush, but why is everybody wearing black? <laughs> it just yeah. I I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I, I, I mean, think they're they're trying to emulate everybody's favorite team that's in Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, they, well, that's true. They do have the all black, but I mean, they're you know they wear the yellow pants and the Steelers. The Steelers basic uniform is like one of the best in the league. Like I like them. I like the Bears. I, you know, I'm a traditionalist, but God, I, the, the Jets and the. I, the Jets in black is just wrong. It's just wrong. And the Eagles, and there's so many teams. Like, I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> but it's just me. Yeah. I, I did like uh, this past week the Steelers played the Falcons, and they went back to the red helmets. I love the red helmets yeah, a lot better than their black great. helmets. That, that's a traditional awesome. helmet to me. That's what I grew up with was a red Falcons helmet. Yeah, All yeah. Right. Steve Bartowski and Willie Mandrews. Yep. Yeah, those are great uniforms. Great uniforms. And the Bills have great. Their regular uniforms are nice, but they have the great throwbacks with the red the red standing buffalo. That's a good one. The Dolphins have great throwbacks. The Giants have been wearing their 1986 throwbacks, which are pretty good. I, I kind of yeah. like the, 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 the ones, their regular uniforms now a little bit more. But for nostalgia, you know, I mean, I grew up with those guys, right? LT and Sims. I guess even crazier than the NFL's uniforms is probably the collegiate uniforms, which these teams have different uniforms every single week. It's all Oregon's fault. Oregon started this about 20 years ago, and it's just it's gone viral and it's bad and we need to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd you like ever will to just have a home uniform and an away uniform and just let it and, and just leave it at that. Maybe a throwback once in a while for fun. <laughs> Those companies that sell jerseys will never let it happen because it oh, makes never, a lot never. of income for them, I'm sure. That's right. So it's all retail driven. That's uh, that's that's capitalism for you. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, anyway, that sort of segues us into what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the collegiate game, uh, a little bit more pro talk here as well. But uh, this is Rose Bowl month. We're celebrating the 100 years of the Rose Bowl. And uh, we're glad that you were able to join us here. And you, you've got some great topics to talk about in Rose Bowl history. So I'll, I will let you have the floor, sir. Thank you. So so I wanted to start off with a couple of games that I thought were very interesting. And I remember watching them, the 1999-2000 uh, Rose Bowls, which featured wins by the Wisconsin Badgers. And I really admired them for a couple of reasons. The first was that they were the first Big Ten team in history to win back-to-back -back Rose Bowls. You know, for a long time, the Rose Bowl had been you know, pretty much dominated by the by the Pac-10 teams, now, especially, you know, USC and UCLA won a bunch. And but, you know, traditionally, I think there was kind of like a, a feeling that, you know, the Big Ten teams would travel west and they'd be in Los Angeles in the warm weather and they'd go to Disneyland and they sightsee and then they weren't quite ready to play football on New Year's Eve. So the, the, the Pac-10 definitely had a decided advantage, except for, you know, I went back and I looked at the record there was a from the end of World War II, I think it was 1946 or 45, the Big Ten had 
two six-game winning streaks. It was only interrupted by a USC win in 1953. But, you know, from 40, 47 through 52, um, you got Illinois, Michigan, Michigan, Northwestern, Ohio State, Michigan again, Illinois, all one representing the Big Ten. Ironically, the one loss in 53 was Wisconsin. And then from 54 to 59, again, the Big Ten, six in a row. Michigan State won a couple. Ohio State won a couple. Iowa won a couple. But none were consecutive. You know, they were alternating kind of every other year. So when Wisconsin came in, they had a very good year in, you know, 1998. The Rose Bowl was January 1st, 1999. Um, they, Michigan and Big Ten, they all tied for first place within their their conference records were all seven and one. Um, Wisconsin and Ohio State were 11 and one overall. Michigan was only 10 and three, but the Big Ten standings, you know, recognizes the conference record. But the Badgers were awarded the Rose Bowl berth because at that time, the Big Ten would send the team that had gone the longest without a Rose Bowl visit. So, you know, Ohio State and Michigan had both gone recently. Um, some Wisconsin hadn't been there since 1994, so they got the they got the bid. They got to go to Los Angeles to play UCLA. UCLA had a very, very, very good team that year. They were ranked number one through most of the year. They were unbeaten until their last game. They were at Miami. They lost a crazy game to the Hurricanes. I think it was a very it was a high scoring game. It was something like 49 to 45. So they went into the Rose Bowl. They dropped to six. Wisconsin was ranked number nine. But uh, quite um, infamously, it was Craig James on ESPN. He was an analyst at the time. He made a, a comment that made all the billboards in Wisconsin that he said, um, Wisconsin is, go is going to be the worst team ever to play in the Rose Bowl. So they added a little motivational material for um for wisconsin so you know ucla had a very potent offense a big passing game and wisconsin was just the opposite you know they were a smash smash mouth football team you know ron dane was setting all kinds of records and in the rose bowl you know the first it was a very tight game at halftime um ucla well, the game was tied 21-21, and Wisconsin kicked the field goal just before half, so they were leading 24-21 at the half. And then starting the third quarter, Wisconsin had a long drive. Ron Dane had something like a 63-yard run that led to a touchdown a couple of plays later, and they had a 10-point lead. And UCLA, they tried to come back. Um, I know there was a sack fumble, um, but Wisconsin had to punt. UCLA got a touchdown, and it was – in the middle of the fourth quarter, the the play of the game was um, Wisconsin had an interception run back, and they went ahead 38-31, and that ended up being the final score. But, you know, the MVP of the Rose Bowl for that game was Ron Dane. He had 246 rushing yards and four touchdowns, and the four touchdowns tied uh, the Rose Bowl record. Um, Charles White from USC had – four touchdowns in 1980 and both teams combined for over a thousand yards in total offense which is a rose bowl record but the disparity in how they got the yards was pretty interesting 
you know, UCLA had more yards. It was 538, which was the single team record. They had 120 rushing, but 418 yards passing. Wisconsin also 497 total yards, but you flip it. They only had 154 yards passing, but 343 yards rushing, which is just, it's just ludicrous. Even in, you know, for especially in modern football in 1999, right. you know, they were doing it the old fashioned way, big offensive line. You give it to the big back, you know, he churns out 300 yards on his own. So it was kind of a, kind of a statement for old fashioned football, you know, just control the line of scrimmage and just pound it out. And it, and uh, Wisconsin ended up, they jumped up in the polls after the Rose Bowl win from number nine to number five and UCLA you know, they stayed there at, uh, at number six. Now that was sort of the, uh, uh, the stereotype of the big 10 back at that time too, except for maybe Ohio state, maybe Michigan state, but you know, yeah, they were kind of breaking out of it in Wisconsin. They were, they were still kind of a, a holdover from the old, you know, the Woody Hayes school of three yards and a cloud of dust, but they, they were good at it. And it was, it was coach Alvarez who was coaching those years. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he was, he was a, a great coach and uh, had that old mindset. And like you said, and just uh, that's some yeah. good, that's great though. When you can have different eras of football uh, offensive schemes playing in the same game and playing against each other, that makes it kind of interesting. It's everybody doing the same thing. So I, I right. kind of like was, that. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to watch. I mean, two diametrically opposed teams, the way they were structured and the way the coaches thought, and it was, you know, it was kind of like, which is your style of football? You know, I, I kind of favor the ground game. So I was I was I was rooting for Wisconsin. I have no you know, my my college football team is the Army Black Knights. So when it's Big Ten versus Pac-10, I just kind of, you know, root for the underdog or, you know, root for the team that looks more interesting. And for me, it was, you know, the team with the strong line and the big back. I kind of, you know, I kind of like watching running football. Yeah, Being an army fan, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. That's what uh, they love to do. So, okay. Great. Great job on that. Now, you had another game you wanted to talk about also, right? Well, right. The follow up. So, the bookend to that, you know, Wisconsin went back to back years. So, 1999 or the season, the, the Rose Bowl was on January 1st, 2000. Uh, that year, Wisconsin was still good. They didn't have the 11 and 1 record. Overall, they were 10 and 2. But they did match their Big Ten record that year. They were seven and one, and they won it outright. There was no, there was no tiebreaker that year, and they were they faced Stanford. So coming into the game, Wisconsin was favored. You know, the year before it was a it was an upset. Wisconsin was ranked number four. Stanford was ranked number twenty-two. But this game played out a lot, probably more like you would expect. It wasn't high scoring and explosive. There were no of uh, huge yardage records, except there was one uh, one futility record yardage-wise. It was a defensive game, low scoring. Wisconsin ended up winning 17 to nine. They were actually trailing at the half, nine to three. Their offense was kind of sputtering. It wasn't very rhythmic. They would get a first down and then take a penalty. They'd have to punt. Uh, the Stanford Cardinal got a touchdown. It was 3-3. Stanford got a touchdown, but they there was a fumbled snap on the extra point, so it was only a six-point lead going into halftime. In the third quarter, again, like the year before, Wisconsin came out, this time with a methodical drive. They drove the field. Ron Dane got, had a rushing touchdown. They went ahead. 
by one. And then in the fourth quarter, they added another touchdown to go ahead to open up their lead. And they actually had a chance. They missed the field goal that could have padded the lead to 11, made it a little more comfortable. Um, you know, Stanford had the ball, but they ended up uh, with a sack fumble on fourth down, and that ended up killing it. But aside from Ron Dane, you know, going back to back, he had he ran for 200 yards even in this year. 154 of those yards was when Wisconsin took over in the second half and he had the one touchdown. Um, but the Wisconsin defense set a record. They held Stanford to negative five yards rushing. Wow. And they just, yeah. And Wisconsin, you know, dominate. They ended up winning the time of possession for the game. It was something like 34 to 26. But the big disparity was in the second half. Like was, uh, Stanford barely had the ball in the second half. So this was a huge, huge game for Ron Dane. He won the Rose Bowl MVP for the second consecutive year. Um, but he also uh, brought home a lot of hardware that year. He won the Heisman Trophy. He won the AP Player of the Year. He was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. He won the Dope Walker Award. And he was the, and it still is, I believe, the NCAA's all-time career rushing yardage leader. He went over, in this game, he went over 7,000 for his career. And he was um, he was also the first uh, Badger player to win the Heisman since Alan Amici, Alan Amici in 1954. Wow, yeah, he he was a great uh, collegiate player. I mean, the dude was just a, a beast. And uh, well, you know, his line was pretty beastly too. <laughs> they opened yeah. a lot of holes for him. I remember, I remember watching these Rose Bowls, and they're giving handing the ball to this big back, and nobody would get a hand on him until he was like five yards. Like he would get through the line, and he was at the second level of defense before anybody even got a hand on him. He had a he had help. He didn't do it by himself. <laughs> no, but still, still, well, I guess when you're a, a, a smaller DB trying to tackle him at the second level and, yeah, you know, you guys, just, uh, <laughs> guys just trucking you, that's a, that's, that's a tough game. But a defense of Wisconsin, you know, how frustrating that had to be for Stanford. Right. Uh, you know, their, their defense is on the field quite a bit because, you know, Wisconsin's running the ball down their throats. Right. And yeah, they, they got fatigued in the second half. They got worn down. They had grass stains on the back of their jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you can't run the ball yourself. You know, that's uh, that's yep. got to be really frustrating and, and just kill a, a team's, uh, you know, hope any hope of winning when you have that. You take the life right out of them. So that's that's, that's, right. a, that's an entertaining and, and it style kind of football. Indicated, it kind of indicated Barry Alvarez, he proved the year before, you know, wasn't a fluke. You know, I have my big line, I have my big back, and you know, we're gonna do it our way. And they did. They went it, they did it back to back years. And nobody from the Big Ten has done it since. They're still the only Big Ten team to win two two consecutive Rose Bowls. Yeah, that that's true. Of course, uh, for for many years the was the uh, Big Ten would only not allow a team to go to two consecutive Rose Bowls. They had a, a unwritten rule or written mm -hmm. rule about, about that. So a lot of times the, the best team in the Big Ten wouldn't get to go to the Rose Bowl even before all the, the you know, the 43 bowl games were we have this year. That's right. Yeah, when, it, when the Rose Bowl <laughs> was the only one, they were, you couldn't, like Michigan couldn't go twice or right. anybody like that. That But where the USC's and UCLA's and Stanford's of the world, they could go three, four or five times uh, in a row. USC, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, USC was going to like three out of every four. Yeah, and they were winning two out of three of those. <laughs> right, yeah, they had some great teams, great teams over over the years. That's definitely for sure. So yeah, those, those are two great Wisconsin teams that uh, you know a lot of people maybe have, have forgotten about. But uh, you know, glad you you 
got to talk about them a little bit and, you know, Ron Dane and uh, coach Alvarez and, and all the rest of the folks here just playing some, some good football. It's uh, interesting. That's uh, sort of a throwback. So, yeah. So and it wasn't that long ago, but it was throwback style football. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't seem like that long ago. You're talking about, you know, the year 2000, but you sit there right. and look at the calendar and you're like going, Oh my God, that was 23 years ago. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's uh, amazing how time flies by. Okay. So I, I think you want to segue this into a little bit more into to maybe the professional style and probably because of the, the one player that won the MVP two years in a row. That's right. That's right. So, you know, the Rose Bowl was the setting for a number of Super Bowls in the 1970s and 80s. And um, my personal favorite happened to be the Super Bowl 21 in uh, 1986. And, you know, you mentioned the player winning MVP. And I'm pretty sure that almost every Giant fan, when I read off these numbers, knows exactly what they mean. 22, 25, 268, 30. That is the stat line for Phil Sims. He was 22 of 25 for 268 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He was just short. He was just short of uh, the perfect passer rating for that game, but he only had three incompletions in the game. And the Giants, you know, they went in, everyone expecting them to be pounding the ball like Barry Alvarez and Ron Dane at Wisconsin, a run heavy team with the Suburbanites offensive line and Joe Morris, but um, it was Phil Sims day. He was perfect in the second half. He was 10 for 10, you know, of his three incompletions in the first half, two were drops. And the other one, which still burns me when I watch my DVD of the game, it was late in the second quarter, getting close to halftime. Phil McCockey was running a seam route right up the, right up the numbers. Uh, and he got tackled by a Denver defensive back and there was no flag called. And, you know, you know, today, anytime a defensive back like puts a finger on a receiver, he's throwing up his hands. Just, you know, in, in the 1980s, players didn't really do that. And Phil McConkey's, you know, he was demonstrative, demonstrative uh, emotional guy and flinging his arms up. Where's the flag? Where's the flag? I still watch the 35 years later. I'm like, where's the flag? So so that cost <laughs> Phil his, uh, his uh, perfect passer rating of 158.3. But. You know, he got his he got his MVP. The Giants got their first uh, championship in 30 years. They last won it in 56 in Yankee Stadium when Charlie Connerly was the quarterback. And he's the Phil Sims was the first player to say, I'm going to Disney World after the game. They had had that. They had had that plan. They talked about it during the week. You know, the MVP. I think they I think they were talking to John Elway about it, too, on the other sideline. But uh, Phil Sims was the first one that uh, got to do it officially. And it'll wow. happen right there on the beautiful grass field of the Rose Bowl. <laughs> ah, nice. Okay. So, of course, they're talking about Disney World, which is thousands of miles from there when uh, Disneyland is right down the, the road there. From oh, that's so. right, Disneyland. <laughs> well, he did one for each coast. Did <laughs> that's he? Oh, right. did he? In California, it's Disneyland. <laughs> ah, okay. So there was two commercials. Okay. So to so say over here, we we on the East Coast, we saw the Disney World commercials yeah yeah like on the super bowl highlight dvds they have like all the nfl films outtakes and they show sims doing each i'm going to disney world i'm going to disneyland <laughs> it's pretty funny <laughs> ah, but, okay. uh, yeah so i can you know personally attest you know we we're talking about the big 10 and the warm weather and not being ready and the pac 10 you know dominating the series so you know i'm a former giant season ticket holder and i can tell you that in the northeast that year it was it was a deep chill winter with a lot of snow and I went to the Giants 
final three home home games of the year. That was my freshman year of college. So I'd come home. I went to the final game of the regular season against Green Bay. And, you know, the giant stadium in the Meadowlands was notorious for the wind. And it's funny how it got progressively worse. So the last game against the Packers, the Giants win. They get the bye week. They played the 49ers in the divisional round, and that was the the 49-3 to game. And that was a game where Sims, he was something like 8 of 14. He didn't have a great pass. They ran the ball a lot. Joe Morris had like 155 yards rushing, and they just pounded the ball in the second half. They took Sims out in the third quarter. They played Jeff Rutledge in the fourth quarter. So Sims only had 14 passing attempts. He threw for like 98 yards, but four touchdowns, though miraculously, you know, nine pass attempts, almost half are for touchdowns. The NFC championship against Washington was the worst weather game I've ever been to in my life. It was a four o'clock game. And I went with one of my friends from high school, you know, he was home from college and my older cousin drove us and uh, we go to the game and, you know, we go down at like 10 in the morning for a four o'clock game. And we go there to, and there's a couple other cars there, you know, some of the diehards are there, but it was so windy, you know, usually you get to the parking lot, even if you're five hours ahead of kickoff, there's people with barbecues going, they're playing catch. Everybody was inside their cars. The wind was so fierce that the cars were like rocking. There's four of us in the car, you know, we got a cooler with two cases of beer, it's weighted down and it's an older car, you know, it's a 1980s car. And the wind is just rocking it. And we were sitting in there with the heat on until it was like time to go into the stadium. It was, and then, then the wind during the game, you know, if you, when you watch the DVD, you know, Jay Schrader had a strong arm, but the ball was fluttering when they were going into the wind. Um, the Redskins punter, um, you know, he couldn't punt into the wind. You know, Sean Landetta was almost the MVP of the game. He had an excellent game, even punting into the wind. It was, but again, Sims, the Giants only threw the ball twice in the second half. Both were incomplete. So he shows up in the Rose Bowl. Everyone's thinking, you know, Joe Morris, Suburbanites, Lawrence Taylor in the defense. And I remember in an interview, Phil Sims said, you know, we went out to California the week before the game and we're on practice and it's sunny and we're on a beautiful grass field. And he says, the first time I could feel the football in my hand in a month. And he had that week of practice and he just got progressively hotter and hotter and you know, I think it was the last practice. Parcells was like, hey, 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 you know, save it for the game. Don't leave it on the practice field. <laughs> so he had some he had some good mojo going, you know, being a team from New York in the Northeast. And that just I'm telling you, it was horrible weather. I remember it. I lived it. And they got to go out to California and they, uh, you know, he had the he had the game of his life. Yeah, boy, that's a extremely memorable game that he had. And, uh, you know, still people are talking about it. Uh, we're talking about it right now. So, you know, definitely a, a great quarterback when he was, uh, when he was on his game. That's for sure. And what a, what a great leader for, for that team of so many stars. And he's almost, you know, in some ways forgotten because they had such a great defense, you know, when you had, you know, the LTs and the Carsons of the world. And, you know, Parcells was a, a, a big time, you know, alpha, alpha male, yeah. you know, figure in the, the locker room. And yeah. Somehow he was able to fly under the radar. Yeah. You know, the, the defense and the running game got the attention and the coach, you know, he's one of the most quotable guys. Everybody loved his press conferences. They were their old kind, their own kind of like bizarre theater, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> and Sims just kind of, and, and he was content. He didn't really, uh, he didn't really crave the spotlight. He was a, uh, you know, he was a team guy, not a me guy. And uh, I, I, again, you know, reading interviews and stuff, you know, because I read everything about the Giants. He was even saying something how he loved how 
the press was billing it as, you know, John Elway, because, you know, they had their famous game against the Cleveland Browns, you know, the the 98 yard drive that got it to overtime. And he he actually loved the fact that the press was billing it as John Elway versus the Giants defense. And he's like, there's no pressure on me. This is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that was the Giants. That was like their first year of really rising. Well, they I mean, they had a good season the year before. They had a good I, year in 85. They weren't, they were pretty good. They were a little inconsistent and, you know, and then, you know, they ran into the 85 bears and nobody was going to beat them. They were just, they were just a juggernaut. They were like that team caught lightning in a bottle. They just had everything working and the giants played them tough for a half, but that was the bears year. But the, you know, then the giants, you know, the next year, they kind of took it as a less, as a lesson, you know, you know, we, we know we're a good team, but we just have to step it up one more level. Yeah, but the, the Giants, they were that that sexy team that year that everybody wanted to watch. I know because we're not in a Giants market here in, in Pennsylvania, but that was a team, you know, hey, the Giants are on. We got to watch this team. You know, this is a, a, the sexy pick to, to watch this year. So, and Parcells was sort of a, a no name that was sort of, you know, around the other parts of the NFL and just coming up and, mm-hmm. hey, this guy's really coaching these guys up. And, you know, this guy Belichick is, you know, the, defensive coordinator and you know yeah. this guy lt and you know just a uh, great great that was though, the first to year him. that was the first year belichick started to gain a little recognition that's the first time i could remember you know because right the giants were the big team and they were getting madden summerall almost every week and i remember john madden several times that year talking about bill belichick being this young bright mind and he's going to be a head coach one day and here we yeah. are 35 years later and belichick is still coaching <laughs> yeah but Everybody Probably. else is retired. Sims is doing TV and Belichick is Belichick is still on the sideline. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if, did he overtake Shula yet? I know he's real close. He's to, getting close. Yeah. He, he passed, he passed George Hallis recently. I think he needs another year. You're you know, the Patriot. What are they? Six and six. They're having an okay year. So he's going to need another two or three years probably to catch Shula. And I'm sure he yeah. will. I'm sure yeah. he will. He's, yeah. Even in a bad year. Anytime soon. Right. Yeah. Even in a bad year, he can catch them. They're that close. So it's uh very, very nice. A great, great research on the Rose Bowls. Uh, you know, I we knew you were going to know a lot about the, the Giants uh, talking about that. <laughs> so and really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing these Rose Bowl memories with us and helping us celebrate the 100th uh, anniversary of the stadium. My pleasure. Thank you. You know, every time this is great. I enjoy it. You know, um, I, I probably say this every time, but, you know, you you give me an avenue to just, you know, share my passion. I love football. I love football history. And it's something that I do all the time just because I enjoy it. So, uh, you know, thank you for having me on. Yeah. And uh, you can find Larry, why don't you give out the, uh, the addresses uh, where people can find your, your work on both um, sites. Big blue interactive. I have a bunch of articles there in the history section and you can always, you know, find me in the forum. I usually get, uh, you know, during the regular season, when I do these, you know, research threads, they usually pinned at the top of the page for a day or two. So you can find me there. And also the Gridiron Uniform Database. I'm kind of a behind-the-scenes guy. You know, you're not going to see my name on the website, but when you know when you see Bill's beautiful artwork, um, I'm behind the scenes. You know, doing you know going in the newspaper archives, digging up pictures wherever I can, and you know helping helping out in a very anonymous way. But I'm just I'm happy to be part of the team, and I really enjoy doing it. All right. And we we enjoy watching and looking and uh, reading everything you got going on both those sites. So appreciate you, Larry. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. And uh, go Army, beat Navy. <laughs> <laughs>
geeking up at the clock. The time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.